You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're learning that the pandemic is having a profound effect on mental health for so many of us who are living through it. It's the kind of shared trauma that none of us have really ever experienced, simply because this is a worldwide event. Just about every country on Earth is affected by this. But smaller community traumas happen all the time. The entire United States experienced it during 9-11. Katrina ravaged the Gulf Coast, especially New Orleans and surrounding communities. It seems like several times a year each now, some disaster befalls an entire city, state, or region of the U.S. What can we learn from those events to help us take care of our mental health and cope with what we're now going through? My next guest is someone who works in that space. Dr. Alan Crone is a clinical psychologist based in Ann Arbor who's worked with people and communities across the world after major disasters to help them deal with these kinds of events. Dr. Crone, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. So first off, we've been talking so far this hour about the flooding in mid-Michigan. Talk about the mental health considerations we should be talking about in an event like this, which adds another layer of trauma on top of the pandemic that has already been going on for a few months. This is really an excellent uh, point of entry into this larger discussion of disaster mental health. So let me just make a few comments about that. Um, disaster mental health really involves understanding what the stressors are that people are being uh, confronted with. And then the second and more important part is how they're processing these. Uh, for disaster mental health workers such as myself, the, the key thing is to be able to listen carefully and not assume you know what it is that they are struggling with. So let me use the, uh, the floods in Michigan uh, as an example. There might be somebody who is struggling with the issue of how they felt when the water was rising. Uh, when I was uh, in uh, Texas after Hurricane Harvey, this was an issue that came up over and over again. Even if people were not themselves affected by it directly, they no one in their family was killed or injured, the fear of <clears throat> excuse me, of what would happen, that feeling of, of just flat out panic was something that they needed to talk about and needed to work through. Mm. So that one of the issues is to be able to listen and and understand what they are really struggling with, not what you think they might be. So let me just run through just a couple of more possibilities with this flood in Michigan. Some people are very caught up with losing belongings in floods. Floods destroy pictures, family mementos, and for some reason, for some people, that's a huge issue. And it's helpful to speak to that. Some people say, on the other hand, it's just stuff, and, mm. and they move on very quickly from it. Um, uh, issues with the flood also involve people who have to go to shelters. So that becomes another whole set of, of concerns for some people. For some people, that's not a, a huge issue. But for some re some people, the the anonymity of a shelter and the feeling of loss of uh, autonomy is a very big one. Mm -hmm. So to be able to tune into and art help them to articulate those issues can be very helpful. Um, some people are also just very relieved that they are okay, that uh, everyone in their, in their family is, is all right. 
um, and that can also be under underscored by the you know disaster mental health workers. So it's a matter of understanding. It's like one size doesn't fit all, and tuning into what their concerns are is a crucial thing. Hmm. So as I said, uh, in your background, you've done this work in lots of different places, New Orleans after Katrina, Sri Lanka after the 2004 tsunami, or Oklahoma after the disastrous tornadoes that mm-hmm. they experienced. So, so compare that kind of work to what we're all going through now with the pandemic, where everyone, everyone really in the world is trying to grapple with the same thing that's happening to all of us as opposed to something that's happening in one discrete uh, place? It's a, it's a very good question. And it, it, what can be helpful in understanding this is um, a concept from disaster mental health and uh, disaster psychology, and that is the idea of what's called a simple trauma and a complex trauma. A simple trauma is one that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, like the example of the floods. Terrible as they are, that's going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. The same thing with a number of the places that I've done uh, mental health work. The problem with the pandemic, as you know, your, your question um, suggests and is true, is that it doesn't, we, our mind can't very well contain it because in time and space we can't contain it. In other words, we don't know when it's going to end. And in terms of space, it's everywhere. As you say, it's worldwide. Um, I know when I've been on disaster mental health deployments, it's always been reassuring for me to know I could drive or fly away from them you know, if necessary. And the people there also had more or less the same kind of options. They could at least get some respite from it or, in some cases, just leave it all together. We can't do that with the pandemic. And it, is, it makes it much more difficult for us to contain and manage fear and feel a mastery over it. So it's, it's a huge difference in this than any other one that I've, that I've had uh, uh, connection with. So. so so talk about the unique mental health challenges we're facing with COVID-19. What, what are you coming across that's peculiar to this uh, in your work right now? So one of them is the relative levels of fear and people's capacity or incapacity to manage it about being infected in the first place. And there are people who are under-worried about infection, and there are people who are over-worried about infection. Um, There are also important issues having to do with our sense of responsibility for people around us. This is coming up especially in my practice with uh, people who have children uh, in the adolescent age range, uh, an age range which is noted for a fair amount of narcissism and self-centeredness, as people know. Um, and suddenly their behavior becomes very consequential and very um, potentially dangerous for people in their families, their parents, their grandparents, of course themselves, but especially the, and the community. Um, so there have been some very, I think, important and uh, sometimes conflictual conversations between parents and their teenage or even young adult children around this. So that's one of the things. And there have, there's been some growth, I feel, in, in uh, some young people 
in this connection when they come to realize that, in fact, yes, they do have a connection and a responsibility in this kind of way um, for, for other people. There's another interesting way in which mental health and public health intersect in this pandemic, and that has to do with the feeling of frustration people have that they can't meet the needs that they want to have met in normal life. Like they can't go to a restaurant, they can't go to a movie theater, they can't get together and go to the beach, those types of things. And there's a clash, and this is something psychoanalysts know a lot about, uh, between rationality and desire. You know, mm. I want to do this. My mind says, no, it's not a good idea. And then we try to come up with some kinds of uh, sort of stratagems, mental stratagems that are not so helpful, such as, well, I can do it if I, you know, um, just wear a mask, even though there are 15 people at this party, you know, or <laughs> I can do this if I um, am careful, or I know these people who are my friends, they couldn't be infected. So, these are irrational um, sort of methods of trying to allow themselves to do things that, that they know rationally they shouldn't be doing. So um, I think there's a lot of pressure right now by the population on governors and on other, other public officials to open up for this very reason. And even people who, who in their heart of hearts know, or let's put it in their minds know, that it's not a good idea to open up too quickly there is a strong drive to do that because of some of these, you know, urges that we all have. Yeah, yeah. And my guest is Dr. Alan Crone. He's a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's also adjunct clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Michigan Medical School. Uh, we're talking about how we deal with grief and concern and anxiety, all things that uh, come out of our reactions to the COVID-19 pandemic and the massive disruptions, the massive dangers that it uh, inflicts on our lives. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us how you're doing through the pandemic, how this is all affecting your own mental health, and what some of the things you are that you're doing to try to stay calm and centered through this really chaotic, uncertain, and scary time. Uh, each day here on Detroit Today, we kind of invite you to call and tell us how you are doing through all of this, how you're managing all of the things that uh, happen. Uh, right now, we want to know how you are managing your mental health and just your sort of outlook on things as the world continues to react and change and kind of be turned upside down around us. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also give us a, a shout on Facebook or on Twitter, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Crumb, before we get to uh, the to listeners, I want to talk about uh Deaths of despair that happen during a crisis like this, especially deaths that can be caused by isolation or major life events like losing a job or a loved mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. uh, how big of a concern do you think that is in this context, and how different is that from what we normally are dealing with? I, I think that's a very large issue, and um, I'd put it another way, or not sort of a related way, which is 
that when we are isolated and when our normal life routines are disrupted, and especially when we're alone, our sense of self gets a little bit diffuse and uh, it's sort of, we kind of lose track of ourselves. It's a, it's, it, sometimes it's true despair and true depression, as the term uh, that you mentioned indicates, but also it can be more subtle in the form of um, kind of forgetting who we are. Uh, let me give an example from Katrina where I, I did work. People in the shelters there would have what's called the Katrina stare. They looked like the walking dead. Mm -hmm. And so when I started uh, in my you know, uh, time there for, for the three weeks I was there, I would walk up to people and I found that if I asked them, what was your life like before the storm? They kind of woke up. It was very interesting. And um, they would tell me, for example, one man said, um, you know, he had apartments that he really loved to renovating. He had uh, a sense of pride in this. People complimented him on this. And I said, those sound like really great. And you were very, very invested in these. When I came by to see him the next day and I walked up to him, I said, oh, yeah, you know, you're the guy who had those apartments, has those apartments and loved them. And that meant something to him. And I did this with a number of people, and I've used this as a, a kind of technique after that, that if you kind of remind them of who they are, mm -hmm. that is helpful. It's like it's almost like touching base with their identity. Some people need this more than others, but if um, for some people they can hold on to that easier than others, but some people need, in the absence of the kind of roles of their lives or the trappings of their lives, they need that kind of... Um, um, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's a really poignant point. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Karen in Detroit. Karen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. So I'm a professor at WC3, and since we're going into distance learning, all my classes for the summer were canceled, mm. and if I can't put, complete the distance learning online by myself, I don't get to teach in the fall. And I just started Social Security, so I can't get unemployment. And I'm one of the people from the city of Detroit that retired <laughs> mm. and got through the recruitment, so everything's just bottomed out. Yeah. Wow. And I'm 66, so it's not so easy. And I'm scared out of my mind of catching the virus. Mm -hmm. So, Karen, walk us through the things that you do each day just to, to hold it together, just to be able to get through. Well, fortunately, I'm a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> right, that helps. <laughs> well, I have dogs, so I, I give myself a routine. I make sure I get up and cook for myself. I take walks. I've got back to my yoga. I'm starting meditation. I'm just doing everything I can to try to stay calm and balance through this because it's hard. Some days you kind of lose it. Mm -hmm. So can I respond to that? Sure. You know, yeah, go I, ahead, go ahead I, Dr. Paul. You know, the, um, you're describing, uh, nice to talk to a fellow psychologist. <laughs> Thank you for calling in. Um, trying to find out from, with, from within oneself and also if you're working with other people, what what ways they can make themselves feel better. And even though they may know those things, it can be helpful to kind of go through them. As you mentioned, you have a number of 
of methods. They don't work perfectly, and you still struggle, but that you know things you can do. Some people, it's music. Some people, it's exercise. Some people, it's just simply uh, doing some self-reflection. Some people, it is um, you know some hobby. Um, also, just connection to other people through uh, remote media, through virtual media. But but to self-care is a lot about this. Um, also, it's useful to try to separate out rational reactions to things in the world going on, you know, in your world, uh, from those that are not rational. Hmm. Um, for example, sometimes people struggle with a lot of guilt that somebody in their life is uh, struggling more than they are, and sometimes they feel that they should be doing more for people, and yet they are doing a lot already. So to try to negotiate with your own conscience about that and cut yourself some more slack about it. But self-care, is psychological self-care is very important, and you, you seem to be doing a number of things along those lines, but you're also at a point where, you know, you are, you know, well into your career, and this is really a huge change to be working remotely. Mm -hmm. I felt that myself because I work my entire practices now online. And though I've done this over the years with some patients, it is a, it is a challenge. And uh, I might say for mental health people, there are also challenges because we do hear and um, have reactions to some pretty troubling things at this, at this time. Yeah. Karen, I'm really glad you called and shared your experience, and I really hope that uh, that things get better, just like for, for everyone else, that uh, we get through this and get back to some semblance of, of normalcy in, in our lives. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Donna in Warren. Donna, welcome to the Hi. show. Hi. Thank you. Thanks mm -hmm. for taking my call. I'm calling because I am a retired clinical psychologist, and I have a lot of experience working with children, families, and also have been on a crisis response team. And actually, that was in Mount Pleasant, close to Midland. So, uh, yeah, mm. I just wanted to kind of mention that. But mm. the reason I'm calling is I had signed up on the state website volunteer um, application and to volunteer my services as a psychologist and to help, you know, to work with people. But I haven't heard anything. Mm. And I wondered if there is a system to match up people or, you know, to be able to pr provide those services during this time. That's a really interesting, it's a really interesting question and a great point. I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that, uh, Dr. Crone. You may be able to. Well, I, <clears throat> I had a parallel experience with this, which is that when this whole thing began, and Governor Cuomo came on the air and said they were looking for mental health people to help out. Mm -hmm. I sent in a lot of information, and I, like you, did not hear back. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to why it's not happened here in Michigan, but it is a, uh, it, it's a question. I don't have an answer for it, but as I say, I had a parallel experience. Yeah. No, it's one of those things that perhaps is getting lost in the in the shuffle and the scramble to try to help people uh, deal with mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, the kind of emergency things that are, mm -hmm. that are going on. Okay. Dr. Alan Crone, it was really great to have you here for this, uh, for this discussion. Thank you very much for being My with pleasure. us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah.